All right, welcome to episode 14 of the Construction Engineering Show. This week, constructability reviews. How constructible are your contract documents? Let's jump in. Okay, well, welcome back to the show. If you're a new listener, welcome to the show. My name is Bob Hildebranski. I'm a civil engineer. Here we talk roads, bridges, utilities, heavy highway construction, I think as it's best deemed. Glad to have you here. I say it every time I start or end a show. I appreciate you spending 15, 20 minutes with me here, talking shop, listening about shop, thinking about ideas that deal with our industry and how we can improve what we do. All right, so I want to start today's show off just with some kudos, pay pay some props forward to a guy who doesn't know me, probably never heard of me before. I've certainly thrown up likes and comments on on, uh, some of his posts and the people that he's working with. But And uh, I'll say this, I'm not a social media savant whatsoever. LinkedIn is the only platform that I really use. I really enjoy LinkedIn just from the standpoint of it's the interaction with people that I know, people that are in my industry people that deal with my, my, what I like to read about, and that's that's things within our construction industry. So being able to dial that in um, is, is cool as far as I'm concerned. All the other social media outlets, I, I, I have enough distraction in my life. I don't need anything else to add to it. But, but anyway, I don't know whether or not you have come across a guy named Aaron Witt. Uh, he started a company called Build Witt Media, I think a couple of years back. And the primary focus of what his company uh, does is um, they have been – heavy supporters of the um, earthwork industry, big mining, uh, big dirt work. Their business line is starting to expand to start preparing marketing materials um, for companies that work in the heavy highway industry. And there is, I, you're gonna, I know you're going to agree with me, anything that is now taken with a drone when it's construction related, it's just, it's awesome. There's, I can't, those are the types of videos that I don't get tired of looking at. It's just overhead shots of work going on, overhead shots of projects. And his company is just moving ahead. There are leaps and bounds now ahead of a lot of what companies are doing in terms of promoting their companies, promoting their people, promoting what they do. You know, his whole, his whole goal is to promote the earthwork industry, promote the dirt work industry. And it's it's fascinating to watch because I really he's a he's a young guy. They've started a company, and so much of what they're doing is just bringing a different view to the construction industry, a different look at the people, telling the stories. You know, in three or four or five minute vignettes of of stories of the people that are are behind these companies that work in our industry, and and I love it. I love what he's doing. I love the nature of the work. I love the message that they continue to carry because it's really taking what is a, a decades-old, can we say a centuries-old industry of moving earth, building roads, building bridges, um, building facilities that we all use every day in some form or fashion of getting to work, getting groceries. Um, it, it's, it's part of our lives, our industry is. And I don't necessarily think all the time that we have the ability as construction professionals, people within the industry, to really get a handle on how big of an impact what we do has on society at large. It really does. And, you know, this is a great industry. It's a fun industry. Those of us on the construction side, I I think I've, I've said it before. I'll say it again. 
we're privileged, we're blessed to be involved in this side of the industry, to be able to be in your boots, getting your hands dirty, being around people that, that enjoy what they're doing, watching machines work, just seeing the power of machines and moving materials that can create and craft and rehabilitate things that we are designing or are involved in. It's a blessing, you know, taking advantage of every instance that you have to be out on site, meeting people who are enjoying their work, and of course, you know, I'm not, I don't want to take away from those that like designing because, of course, that's as much a part and parcel as this industry as it is. But certainly being a muddy boots guy as I am, um, seeing what Aaron is doing in that promotion, I just keep wishing and I keep hoping that is there the ability that on the, on the white hard hat side, those of us that, that are the, the technicians providing the brain power behind these projects, not being in the glamorous shots of machines running and getting a chance to be that, that focus. Cause we, we really aren't, we're, we're the quiet, we're the quiet professionals that are working behind the scenes to make sure that, you know, tab a fits in slot B that's what we get paid to do. We don't necessarily get to have that, the luxury that the contractors do of saying, you know, it was our forces, our machines, we're the ones that built this. It's a team effort for all of us, right? So we, we all get to, we all get to share in some credit of the job. It's just a different, different view at the, at the outcome. So my reason for bringing this up is uh, twofold. One, uh, check out, check out Aaron's stuff, check out Buildwood Media. I'll put a link to the show notes to his uh, LinkedIn page. Uh, follow them, just watch what they're doing. It's a lot of fun. It's a great look at the industry. It's a great way to promote uh, what we do, what the industry that we work in. And, and that folds into the second piece. Keep promoting what, what we do. Keep promoting to those that are coming up. You know, the replacement labor pools to get on the, on the hard dollar side, running machines, getting into the labor pool, into the trades. You know, same with us. I know a lot of folks do a lot of work on, uh, with middle schoolers and high schools, uh, kids that are looking about getting into STEM, STEM education and going that route. We just have to keep, we've got to keep promoting it in any way that we can. Um, look, look at, look at the ad, want ads for civil engineers at this point. Just read any articles about the, the, the glut in trying to find uh, people that want to go into the apprenticeship programs. It's, it's only going to get, it's only going to accelerate. And I think we're going to reach a point when we're starting, even now, just running short on labor. And we, we got to keep doing each of our parts to try to promote the, this industry, this career, how much fun it is, how much, how exciting it can be. And it's, and it's not just necessarily in the, the younger generations that are coming up. Think of the transition that we've seen this year, just this year alone in uh, real estate and vertical construction in warehouse, how those industries, the impact that they've felt just from the change, those changes are going to continue. We're, we, we can't predict how it's going to end up being, but, you know, transitional employees that maybe have worked in vertical construction for, um, you know, the better part of their careers now. As those industries maybe start to shift gears, does it now bring new new faces into the infrastructure industry? It's, it's exciting. It's exciting from all fronts. But uh, so long as we continue to promote what we do, share stories about what we do, try to pass on our knowledge, uh, we, we have to continue to, to pay it forward, but also help, help those out that are coming up, uh, coming up behind us to take our roles. So I think that's a perfect segue into this week's topic of constructability reviews. Last week, I got an email from a gentleman who works out on the West Coast that is going through that exact transition. He said he's worked decades in the vertical construction market, and he's making the transition into a road and bridge type role and wanted to know. He was asked to do a constructability review of a set of documents 
and wanted to know if I had any ideas, any kind of checklists, anything that could help him along. So I traded a couple of good emails, hopefully helped him along a little bit. But in that exchange, I told him, I said, man, what a great topic for a podcast. I says, I think I'll sit down and try to throw my thoughts together on uh, what makes, what, what makes, what's, what are the ingredients of a good constructability review? So going back to episode seven, I had done a show on design reviews. And now we're talking about constructability reviews. So are they the same? Or are they different? Maybe the differentiation for the conversation today is thinking about a design review as more of a technical, more of a nuts and bolts review of the elements in a contract, in a project that are put. Do they meet design standards? Do they meet agency specifications? It, that That's kind of the, the pencil sharpening to make sure that that the configuration of what we're getting ready to build meets the standards. Whereas I think if we talk about constructability reviews, we're looking at that broad scope of now we have this set of 250 drawings. Can I take this set of drawings and specifications, take them out to the field and build it? What is required to get construction from your job startup to your completion? And do we have all the information in a cohesive manner, in a buildable manner that's in this set of documents? So keeping that mindset, it's pretty straightforward. I think any of us that have been involved in construction can understand that. So I don't necessarily think I'm breaking any ground by bringing up some sort of new new way of doing constructability reviews. I think anyone, any of us who have had drawings plopped in front of us have gone through in some frame or fashion a constructability review. I think what I kind of wanted to focus in on is just how to organize our efforts. You know, what is the mindset of getting into a set of documents and how, how do we best attack them? Because I will be the first to say, if somebody plops down 500 drawings that's in four volumes of PDFs and two volumes of special provisions and says, I want you to go through these, can you review these? That, that feeling of overwhelm is the first thing that's hit you. And it's also the same as the feeling of, holy crow, I've got this buffet in front of me. You know, It's kind of like gold, going to a golden corral. What, what am I going to eat first? Everything looks good. Where do I go? It's really trying to develop a cadence for yourself and a system for yourself that at least you're following a general progression of how you want to attack the drawings and then just trying to execute that cadence. And really, I think that's important. You have to stay away from the overwhelm, you know, and that's, that's probably part and parcel of number one on my list. Keeping that mindset of this is a slow progression. I don't have to digest everything that's in these 500 drawings in the next 30 minutes. It takes time. And really in the manner that you set up of how you want to walk through that drawings, I think that's kind of what I wanted to touch on a few ideas that I had today. So there's two things that I do at the start of every review, and this is religious. This is the things that I do every time. The first thing I always do is put together strip maps. I am from the old school. I grew up and came up in the industry in Kohenor pens and Mylar and drawing things by hand, putting drawings together and that. I've, I've had the pleasure of watching AutoCAD or MicroStation or electronic design come into our industry and see now that we are, we're in an electronic age dealing with on-screen PDFs. Everything comes out in PDF right now. The, the paper, prints are, paper prints seem to be going by the wayside. I can't do that. I, I have always been a paper person. That's just how my brain is built. That's how I've been raised. That's just how my brain thinks. The first thing that I always do is create strip maps of the job. Now, what do I mean by a strip map? Strip map is the start of the job to the finish of the job in paper form, taped together, old school. 
but it gives you the ability of seeing the entire battle space from end to end. And I, for me, I think that's a critical part of, of um, understanding how a project fits together. What does it look like from start to finish? Where am I starting and where am I going? It gives you the ability to start looking at the overall scope because really your constructability review can't be sitting just in a single sheet. You may be looking for details in a couple of sheets, but you want to see that overall, how is this job fitting together? How am I getting in? How am I getting out? How is the traffic staged? So, you know, the couple of strip maps that I always build are the maintenance traffic staging for each stage. And the other one that I always like to do is the drainage plan. Having an idea of the underground, and I've said this before, you've got to understand what's under the ground to really understand the job. So you by, by putting your drainage proposed drainage together, you'll oftentimes be able to see all the proposed roadway elements. So you get a two-for-one where you get to see what the job is going to look like at its end condition and where is the underground. So so part, that I will just say, it, number one, that's for me. You may be able to do it different. You may be built to be able to do more stuff on screen. Hey, that's great if you can do that. But if you're asking me for, hey, Bob, how do you do it? That's number one is, is build those strip maps. So once I got my maps built, the second thing that I'll do in the second place I go is that quick scan, and I'll say, of the early drawings. Your table of contents, your index of sheets, the reference standards that you you have, maybe even your schedule of quantities might be listed in the plans. Your special provisions always have a table of contents for the items that are in there. That scan now sets the next level of the review I'm looking for the big items. What type of job is this? Yeah, I mean, you're going to know it's a road and bridge job. Do you have retaining walls? What type of retaining walls? What type of bridge? What are the bridge elements? What type of foundation is it? Just a quick scan through the drainage items. What's the biggest pipe size that I have? Is my biggest pipe size 48 inch or do I have 72s or 84s? Starting to frame that as to what am I going to have to pack into this, this one mile corridor? Getting an idea, you know, I if I maybe I mentioned it, the special provisions, you know, you hit your special provisions and in that index, you can just go through the table of contents and look for some of those items that jump out, you know, that may be kind of non-standard or not might be what you're looking for. Think $100,000. Think about $100,000 items. I'm looking for these big ideas. So strip maps, you're getting that general cursory overview of what we're building. That's pretty much step two is just get yourself ready to settle into that to that next level of detail. So for me, step three is now starting to dig into the, I guess I say dig in tongue in cheek, but for me, it's the underground. I have always been a proponent of wanting to know and feeling that you really need to have a good understanding of what's below surface. You know, the top side stuff, everybody can see. You can kick it, you can step on it. When the finished product is done, top side, you'll always be able to see it. The important stuff to me is the things that you can't see. What's below? Where are the existing utilities? Where is my proposed drainage going? How does the electrical fit together? Those types of things. Think about your foundation systems. Anything that's soils dependent, your foundation systems. Think of your soil itself, the environmental aspects of it. Do you have material that's going to be able to stay on site? Or do you have material that's been tested that maybe needs to go somewhere? You're thinking about that existing condition and what you need to deal with. So working through that, you may want to just grab your drainage strip map and work end-to-end, get an idea of where your utilities are. Maybe just check the soil boring lithologies, check your foundations and see what you have again. Now you're starting to dive in, but you're diving in at, from the ground up. You know, that, that first constructability level. And, and as you do that, 
start thinking about operations, thinking about what your contractor is going to need to do to get materials in and out of the job site. You may be starting to look at your drainage relative to your maintenance to traffic. How have they staged the job? Is it in two stage, two simple stages of a roadway job and I have to get my drainage somehow across the road? It's thinking through those. You know, and in a constructability review, that's what you're doing. You're kind of putting these pieces together. You're thinking like the contractor thinks. How are these components going to fit together and how am I going to get them where they need to be? It's, it's a fun time and really the underground for me is always, that's always the exciting challenge. Sometimes there's not enough time, I'm going to say that. Sometimes you may be under duress to get a review done where you might not be able to dig in, tongue in cheek, dig into the, the underground prints as much as you can. But you want to focus that. You want to ha at least have a general understanding of what you're dealing with under the ground to be able to use that as you move out of the ground up topside. So, you know, the third step for me is just get that idea on what's going on beneath the surface. All right, well, the fourth area of focus, this gets right into my wheelhouse. The last couple of years, this has been a primary focus of mine in terms of the reviews that I've been doing in my day-to-day -day work, and that's maintenance of traffic. You know, we started, we built our strip maps. We've got the overall site. We know what our, our battle map looks like. You know, those staging plans now are essentially kind of like the assembly instructions. If you bought a piece of furniture, you need to know A, then B, then C, then D. Staging plans provide that same sort of sequencing. You know, this is the co-mingling now of the motoring public with the work. Those two have to coexist for the most part. If you're fortunate enough to get one of those projects where you're out in the middle of a cornfield building a corridor that's brand new, that's those are probably 1% of the jobs for the most part. Everything has some sort of inference into traffic and dealing with traffic. When we think about maintenance of traffic, we have to always keep in mind it's the motoring public. The motoring public is the focus. Yes, the contractor needs to get in and out. Yes, it needs to be facilitatable. Yes, there needs to be access. Yes, there's movements and flaggers and all of that stuff. But the primary focus is setting up the traffic so that the motoring public moves through our work zones safely and efficiently. Now, you know, there's a couple of ways to look at, at maintenance of traffic reviews. One is you can get deep into the standards, looking at the technical aspects of barrier wall, tapers, uh, access areas, points of location for contractors to be able to get in and out, your striping, layout, all sorts of things. So you certainly have a technical bent that goes along with doing an MOT review, but you have to look at that bigger picture. Like we keep saying, this constructability review is backing out. If you're building this job in four stages and you have a bridge to construct in the middle of the project somehow, how does the sequencing allow you to get those individual elements that you need to build built? This is where I think a lot of it, it's experience. This isn't something and it's difficult for someone who may have not seen or been involved in a lot of highway programs to work through an MOT set is one thing to look at it from a traffic perspective, but you have to be able to step away from just the traffic and look at how the rest of the job fits together. Take a bridge, for instance. If you're in a four-stage project where you're building a, a job in four stages, each of those substages needs to be able to accommodate the structure and vice versa. The structure has to be designed in such a way that it coexists with the, the configuration of traffic. Now, just take that as a jumping off point and dive in. Where is your traffic in relation to the foundations, the piling, the systems? Where are you in three dimensions? You know, think, think a lot about three dimensions. What am I crossing? Am I crossing a small creek, a river? Am I crossing another roadway below it? Am I crossing a railroad? 
each of those each of those structures are going to might have some sort of different components substructure wise for protection for setbacks for what's underneath it how am i treating how is my bridge being treated and all of that now starts working backwards what does it take to construct my foundations? Am I doing piles or caissons? Do I have rail rail activity that I need to contend with? Am I putting temporary shielding underneath the bridges, the bridge as I'm building this? It's all those different pieces that now sit into or start fitting into how this review goes. One of the things I think, and especially when it comes to this kind of overarching look at uh, constructability reviews. You really need to have field experience to be able to understand all those nuances. I think for essentially designers in a lot of cases can get those pieces to fit together with line work. It's stepping back as a construction engineer and thinking in three dimensions spatially. How does all this stuff fit together? I mean, again, just go back to this first stage of a bridge. Do I have electric lines nearby, the things I'm crossing? Where will my crane pads be to be able to swing girders? How am I going to get girders and piles to where I need them to be? That really is when, I'll say, constructability reviews get fun because you're essentially in the role of the project contractor's project manager, his superintendent, and you are thinking of these pieces. Am I accounting for where things need to be? Now, the flip side of the argument can always be, I'm a designer, I'm working on the consultant side, I'm on the agency side. We hire the contractor to think through all of this and to build this and to put the pieces where they need to be. I can't be necessarily focused on the means and methods that the contractor is under contract to do. And, and I agree with that. However, the more we can do either as, as the design team or the constructability team to try to look ahead and develop that sequence of what we think and how this uh, area, these elements are going to fit together and how they'll be constructed, it moves you ahead. It now gives at least some reliability, some validated, some validation to you being able to sit down at a pre-construction meeting and if the contractor has questions or in a pre-bid to say, you know, we didn't anticipate, how is this supposed to fit together? You've already gone through that process. And in that constructability review, it becomes those seasoned field engineers that are seeing, yes, I've seen pile rigs, I've seen case on rigs, it looks like all the elements can be built here in a, in a relatively reasonable fashion. We're not putting something on the street that's not constructible. That is the root of what we're doing here in this review. So, so in that fourth uh, fourth category, MOT, you got two things to look at. You got the technical deals with your traffic and getting cars safely through, but you've also got to think about how uh, how, how things are going to get built in those stages. All right. So moving into what I'd call step five. You've got the overall kind of look at the job. Now I think you're now you've reached the point where you can dig into the details. You get to dive in. A lot of times I think people like to dive into the details too soon. You want to start looking at the concrete barrier and the details, the light pole foundations, things like that on the early because you, you want to hit the details and, and those are shiny objects that you can be able to dive into. In my mind, until you have an overall understanding of the job its elements and how it needs to fit together. Getting into the details doesn't make sense. It becomes the tail end of what you want to do because now as you are looking at details, you can think through how they are incorporated into the work, how they're being utilized, and how they need to fit together. You know, I, I think concrete barrier is probably an easy one for me to kind of point at and for us to talk a little bit about here. Concrete barrier, you would just think it's a jersey face barrier wall. However, if you think of the nuances of the location of the barrier, the footing of the barrier, 
fitting it in stage between maybe an active stage and a construction stage? Do you have enough room to actually physically frame and build a barrier? It's that sort of detailed thinking that now really you're at the point within your review that you understand whether or not this detail can be built and make sense. Think about paving. Just think about paving, edge of paving over air, uh, uh, open areas to allow the paver machine to fit in. Do you have enough setback space in your staging prints? Is there accommodations for how the subgrade underneath the pavement is going to be configured so that your pavement pad is in the right place? You can still fit this within the stage that you have. Think about how many times you've seen construction contracts where the barrier wall and live traffic is right up against in a tight corridor needing to get that roadway done. These are the types of things at this point where you can carve in and start looking to see now does these do these things kind of make sense. So, you know, if there is a recommendation, hold hold the details further off until you're you're uh, further into your review. You know, and at the same time too, not only details but your special provisions. This is the time now where you have an understanding of the job. Run back through that table of contents in the special provisions take a highlighter and if there's a hundred items in there maybe there's 20 that jump out at you that are maybe unique maybe that tie in with a detail maybe there's something in there that can work backwards to a staging or need sequencing to specifically go with them so you know it's the later stages of your review that you then want to start climbing through through detail so you know don't want to spend too much time on it but think that through don't be don't look at the shiny objects early wait till the end hit your details once you understand the the whole job okay well the sixth item the last item on my list is is really not necessarily a review item you know i think by the time we've made it through the details we've now completed our review we've got five or ten or twenty uh, comments that we want to convey back to the designer of things that that we've discovered in the drawings I'm going to go back to episode seven on our design reviews. I want to mention it. We're going back to the early in this episode. My whole goal as a, as a constructability reviewer, reviewer of documents, it's not about me. It's about the agency. It's about the documents. It's about the designers being able to put out the best set of prints that they can. You know, construction is a very fluid process. RFIs happen. Change orders happen. Of course, the designer, the whole goal is to contain those as much as possible and get the tightest set of documents that we can out. But, but change, changes occur. The more I can get ahead of that and hopefully find things that at least I'd like the designer to take a look at, that becomes using your mind's eye, using your field experience to convey those types of things that maybe a designer hasn't thought of or hasn't seen before. I mean, a lot there are designers that don't have construction experience. They've built things in their mind's eye, but it's their best guess at how it might fit together. You're there as that set of three-dimensional eyes that have seen puzzles like this put together. You can convey that back. So I'm there to add value. I'm there to try to keep my comments constructive. My comments are always suggestive. One of the things that I think is very important is I don't like to be dictatorial in when I make comments. I, I just don't. It's I don't think it's fair to the designer for me to say, hey, you have all these catch basins and they're all four foot offline. You know, get them all on alignment. That's not the case. My presentation of comments always tries to, to more question or ask the designer you do a double check on me. I want you to double check my review comment right now. Have you considered this? Um, could you go back and double check this? Have you, maybe, maybe I could suggest taking a look at this situation uh, this way. 
keeping an open end and more questions and comments as opposed to saying this is the way to do it. I mean, occasionally you are going to find things that are wrong. You may find a detail, a, let's say a taper rate in a maintenance of traffic set of documents that's just wrong. You can cloud that on the drawing and say, you know, double check the taper rate should be 18 to 1, whatever that is. But I think keeping keeping it keeping it positive, keeping it open, letting the designer now sync that comment in. It's really a QCQA type deal of your review. If you find things and can convey that to them, let them take a look at that. Then becomes the dialogue, then becomes the review meeting. And hey, yeah, you know, Bob, you were right. We checked that out and we want to fix that. Or hey, Bob, no, you know, we designed the sequence of piling for this abutment because we have to consider this and this. Okay, well, that's great. It's a dialogue. All of us are thinking in a common common uh, line to try to make sure it's a check and balance and that's really what these reviews become it's a check and balance so i really think if i can if i have one uh, leave behind for you maintain that positivity maintain that suggestive nature keep your comments uh, positive always try to keep them constructive um, work towards that bent i think it goes a long way with the designers i personally hope in the folks that I work with, I hope there's a respect that's born from review comments that are, are brought as such. So, you know, I think it goes a long way for you as a reviewer if you hold that kind of mindset as you're working on these reviews to convey it in a professional, positive manner, be a value add. Um, I think your designers will, will appreciate your, your input on their drawings even more when you, when you keep the attitude right. All right, quick recap. Step one. Get those battle plans, build those strip maps, paper and scotch tape. It's old school, but it works. Keep it simple. Be able to see that entire job site in one place. Second step, get into those table of contents, your uh, schedule of quantities, find out what we're building, get a general idea on what's going to be going in. Third step is looking at the underground, right? Take a look. Once we start opening the ground up, things have to fit together. So the more we can do on the planning side to make sure that they fit together on paper, hopefully the, the better they fit together on the outside. Four is our MOT. It's the, the coexistence of traffic and, and construction. So this becomes really a focus area for us to be able to, to think about how things are built and how they integrate with traffic. Fifth step is finally, once you made that point, dig into the details, see if you can find the, you know, it doesn't take much in a detail. One step can be, be a change orders with five and six figures. So never be afraid to dive into those details. Really think about how they're being constructed. And of course, the last step in that was how we convey our message. We are a value add. We're professionals. We want to bring all that seasoned, gray-haired, muddy boot, dirty fingernail information as we can back to our designers uh, to help their plans be as good as they can be. All right, so that's a wrap on constructability reviews. All right, it's not really a wrap. I've been 30 minutes into this, and it just dawned on me and flipping through my notes of everything that I wanted to cover that I forgot probably one of the most important pieces of information as part of this review that needs to go into it, and that's schedule. <laughs> How could I forget schedule? Jeez, oh, man. Here's what I'm going to Here's what I'm gonna say. This is its own separate show. This is its own separate podcast. We could talk about schedules in an upcoming episode. Certainly as part of a constructability review, the timing of all of this work needs to play into that. The durations that are provided for some of these activities that we found in that, that second, second order review of the big items. How, how is the job planned to be sequenced? How is it scheduled? What kind of dates do we need to make? 
We're going to hit this down the road. Let's, I'll make a promise to you. I want to talk more about it because schedule is another one of those wheelhouse topics that I really, I really enjoy getting into. So we're going to get into that down the road. But certainly as part of a constructability review, throw that into your notes wherever they may be. Think schedule. We'll talk more about that down the line. So to close this show out, I'm going to ask a favor. If you're interested in getting into this topic a little bit more, this is not a shameless plug, but I'm just going to mention this, that it's out there for you if you're interested. At the bottom of all the pages at hildebranski.com, my website, you will see a subscribe button. I usually only send out a newsletter usually once a month. I think I may have sent seven out last year. I try to do it at the end of the month. Just a digest of articles, podcasts, updates on things that we've been working on here around the site and around the podcast. If you sign up and send me your email address, you will get in return a link to what I have put together, a small special report. It's a two-page flyer called the Engineer's Toolbox Constructability Reviews. And in that is a pretty nice list of bullet points that you can use to incorporate into your design review activities. It's certainly not a checklist. It's not something that you have to go through and check the boxes because like we talked about, this is a very dynamic, fluid review. Every job is different. You can't have one checklist that covers every job. But I think there's a lot of a lot of neat ideas and a lot of things that you can apply if you're getting into doing constructability reviews, if it's kind of new to you. Um, I think it's a great starting point for you to build your customized kind of list of how you want to carry yours out. So, again, it is, it is not a shameless plug. Don't think you're going to get spammed with email. I don't know even how to... Do anything with email addresses other than send out newsletters. So um, you're welcome to that resource. It's free for you. I'd appreciate signing up, and then we can keep in touch down the road. All right, so that's a wrap. Thanks for listening. Talk to you on the next one.